And this is your girl, Ryan. And this is the Conscious Sedation Podcast. Yeah, boy. <laughs> hey, y'all. We are Hi, live. Everyone. We are so happy that we are here and that you guys have joined us. So happy. <laughs> I'm Ryan. <laughs> I'm Tasha. <laughs> and we have a guest with us today. We are so excited to have a guest. Yeah, so let me just say a little blurb about our guest. I asked her <clears throat> literally at the last minute to join us today to um, chime in on our topic. And she said yes, because she loves me. Um, and maybe because, you know, she loves to talk about this topic too. So... <laughs> So our guest is Ashley Gilmore. She's a licensed family therapist. Mental health counselor. Mental health counselor. Okay. Um, and I went to Purdue with Ashley. So I, you know, grew up with her pretty much. She's like a little sister to me. We have grown through some stuff, seen some stuff. We worked together at Purdue Telefund. <laughs> Made a lot of money for that school. Yeah, it had a lot of, we, we had a lot of fun. Had a lot of um, fun. Yeah, we did. I can't even be mad. Nope. So Ashley, go ahead and introduce yourself to the people and let them know who you are. Yes. Hey, y'all. Um, I'm Ashley Gilmore. I'm a licensed clinical mental health counseling associate here in Durham, North Carolina. Um, I'm a clinical coordinator at a mental health agency, and I also own my own private practice here in Durham. Um, I'm a wife and a mother and a therapist <laughs> and um, I'm just super excited to be here today. Thanks for having me ladies. It's been a pleasure. I'm excited. I'm yes. excited too. Thank you for taking the time, especially seeing as we was late and everything. It's <laughs> all right. I was able to like come down from my meeting and my workout, drink my water, you know, I know so I was, I'm, I'm fine. I'm totally fine. This is good. Thank you. Good. I so appreciate you. I sent her a message. I was like, hey, girl, we're going to be late. And she was like, okay, perfect. I was like, oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> this is working. I was like, great. You got a little extra time. Okay. Thank you. Yes. So we're going to skip our recap. Yeah. Um, and we are going to have a mindful moment. Is anyone dying to go first? <laughs> If not, I will. Go ahead, Tash. <laughs> <laughs> you see how that was really a lead in for me to be like, so go can right I go ahead. or correct? <laughs> can, can I go or not? You know. So um, today I am mindful that I have really, really just been in a funk. Okay. And it took my honey to be like, listen, <laughs> you dragging the whole house down. <laughs> And I couldn't even be mad. My feelings was lightweight hurt, but I was just like, okay, that's real. You know what I'm saying? Because if, if people who are closest to you and who love you can't be honest with you, then who can? You know, whatever. Yeah. And so I said, Latasha, pull yourself together. You can't be miserable all the time and do something. So this morning, actually last night, I made the decision that I would at least get up and take my baby to the park, which, you know, the swings still aren't up. I'm like, again, 
parks are closed, schools are open, something's not matching, <laughs> but mm-hmm. okay. But I was like, you know, I'm going to at least take my baby outside, take her to the park. And so today I got up, we had breakfast, and it was fairly um, cool. It was like 70 degrees. So I was like, oh, I'm going to go for a walk. So I went for a walk around the neighborhood. And while I was walking, this car stopped in the middle of the street and hazards came on, door opened, and it was a lady or, you know, she's probably younger than me, but anyway, young woman. Anyway, she put on her mask and as I was getting closer to her, she was kind of meeting me in the middle and she goes, good morning. And I'm like, hey, good morning. And she's like, "Um, you live around here? I say, yeah, I live you know, a few streets back or whatever. And she was like, okay. She was like, my name is her name. And mm-hmm. I was just wondering if like you would like to walk in the mornings because I usually try and walk with my baby in the morning. And so I was like, yeah, I said, girl, I'm super slow. And it's been a while since I've been out, but I really welcome the company and the accountability and the motivation to move my body, you know, because I know that that's something that's good for me or whatever. And so I'm just really mindful that A, I took my walk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I got out of the house, um, like I said I was going to do. And then lo and behold, you know, this young lady or whatever was like, oh, look, a mom friend with a stroller. And she actually stopped and she was okay approaching me and, you know, all of that. So I was like, girl, yeah, give me your number you know, text me, call me, whatever. Asked her how old her baby was. She said five months old. I'm like, cool. My baby love babies. She was like, we just go whatever. And so she texted me even before I had gotten home from my walk. Cause I, you know, went on my usual walk, took my baby to the park, let her run around or do whatever. And when I got back home, she had texted me, Hey, it was so nice meeting you. Um, oh, what yeah. about tomorrow? <laughs> do you want to get together tomorrow? Sure. What time should I be at your street? <laughs> she was like 9am. I was like, cool let's try for it so I'm super mindful of that and needing to get out get some vitamin d um get off my butt and get moving so you know that's what I'm mindful of today that is really cool so was she was she a young black mom Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's really cool you said what I live in a black neighborhood (laughs) (laughs) when we see white people we like what is you doing right, around right in line with today's parts. topic? Right in line with today's topic, we like suspicious face. You no, I think that's something. I would say I, my my first instinct is to say that's unusual um, for black a black woman to do that. But what I recognize is, is there's a vast difference between the north and the south, mm-hmm. right? And so. Mm-hmm. In the South, it's not uncommon for women or people to speak to each other or to, you know, befriend one another. Like, it's it's more of a commonality down there than it is up here. So, um, I guess I'm jealous. <laughs> Funny thing is, I think she's from Michigan. Yeah, but she may be, you know, she may have been, you know, assimilated to down there. <laughs> how people speak. And, and I'm serious. You can't help, like down there whenever I go down there to visit my family like everybody speaks people are they just it's that's the hospitality thing is real yeah it's real and so it's hard to stay like boxed up in your own little shell where you don't want to talk to nobody you don't touch nobody don't hold the door for nobody because everybody does it down there like it's Mm -hmm. like you look silly not to you know that's true Mm -hmm. true. (laughs) 
You're right. So that's good. I'm in Durham, and it's like if I see somebody who is not like that doesn't look like me, I feel like you don't belong. I'm like, what? Hey, hey, what are you doing here? You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When I don't trust you, I don't know. Yeah, I'm with you though. But there is that whole hospitality thing too that like everybody's so nice until they're not. So yeah, he's yeah, yeah. in the south. So yeah, yeah. Well, that was a good one, Tasha. So you guys are gonna walk tomorrow, starting tomorrow. Tomorrow morning, nine a.m. So y'all may have right. like a coffee and mommies and babies. I know, right? I know because you two may like find somebody else might be like, "What y'all doing?" <laughs> mm-hmm. With these little strollers, talk about. <laughs> yes, it's mommy's I day out. It. I love it. I love it. That's great. Okay, Miss Ashley, do you have a mindful moment? Yeah. Um. So I have become really active in the last couple of years. Um. You know, after some kind of health challenges, and I was on my way this morning. I didn't want to go, but I was on my way to a run. Um. And as soon as I got off of my exit to get on the highway, the traffic stopped. And I'm like, we're in a pandemic, like nobody working, there's no school, why is something happening on the highway? Um, Y'all should be sitting down, or at least going to run. (laughs) Um, And so everything is stopped, it's 25 minutes later, and people are getting out of their cars. Of course, there are police coming by to the assumptions if there's a car accident. Um, and as I'm there, the cops are allowing us to turn around and I realized, or somebody stopped at the car and said, you know, you can either stay here if you're going straight, but they're letting us off. Um, somebody had gotten hit on the freeway. Um, and like, I became really mindful of time, um, because like, you don't know when it's your time. And so often we like waste it um and are not like productive or like we're productive but busy so like there's this timeline that I'm walking so today I was really strategic about my time and what I was doing and where I was moving and where I was going because I just I'm like this person or whoever it was I'm almost I don't think that they woke up thinking that they would not make it to the nine o'clock hour mm-hmm. um and so it was just I've been very mindful of time and being wise with my time. So today I was trying to be really strategic. So one of my clients canceled, thank the Lord. Um, so I was able to kind of just sit with my girls outside and I was on the phone and they were on the phone and tablets, but it was just the idea of like, this is an hour today that I'm not doing anything intentional and I'm okay with that. So yeah, I'm being mindful. I was really mindful of time in this moment. So yeah. And I will even say that when things like that happen, I feel like my mother would always um, encourage me to be mindful of timing too, right? Like God's divine time. And so like we're rushing to get to a place and like wondering, girl, I'm about to, I'm about to cry. Like wondering why time, like why is there traffic? I got somewhere to be, I got somewhere to go, right? That could have been you, right? Like that traffic prevented you from being or whatever you running late so your child can't get the shoes right or you know somebody got a boo-boo at the last minute or whatever and you're so frustrated with that time 
right? But God's timing is divine, right? And sometimes we may be late for a purpose. We may be late with intention. And sometimes that's protective, right? And so that just brings that to mind all the time. Whenever I'm like rushing, 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 and then I run into traffic and it's an accident, I'd be like, dang, like legit, like two minutes earlier, it could have been me. Kind of me, I always think that. Always. That's crazy. Me, too. me right. too. My mind goes there almost instantly. Like, yep. oh, that hold up that I was mad about. Yep. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I said thank you. And I pray that, you know, there's a prayer and a thank you simultaneously. Um, but it's, it was, it was, it's, yeah, yeah, timing is everything. Mm-hmm. Girl, so. God be knowing. <laughs> we don't be knowing, but God be knowing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I kind of need to run four miles anyway. <laughs> God be knowing that you needed that that time, that rest to and just share. Exactly, exactly. So, um, you know, I don't know. We don't know the family. The news hasn't released anything, but just you know, mm-hmm. when you and them just keep to me your thoughts and prayers. I don't. Yeah. But just the idea that like this uh, on the highway you know we can go in 70 already so like something was not was not you know right what? something else too maybe this might be really morbid i'm thinking was that person um suicidal i thought about that or were they homeless and trying to get to the other side you know and just so i it was a pedestrian so the, so the guy who stopped at my car to tell me that we can go ahead and turn around um said that somebody got hit um mm. so and it wasn't yeah. far enough down because they're also doing construction on this major highway in the city uh-huh. it wasn't far enough down and it was a construction worker unless the construction worker just so mm. happened to have moved away from everybody else um but it was also creepy so like we're in, so it's northbound and then we're turning around on a northbound highway south to get off the highway mm-hmm. the whole highway was closed until one o'clock wow Wow. It was closed until one o'clock. So, yeah. So I am, I am mindful of time. I did not mean to be a Debbie Downer, but. I no, that's to- not. That's like one of those things. That's, that's like a truly mindful moment where, yeah. you know, you're forced to <laughs> take a moment to be mindful. Truly. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I have to be aware of what today looks like and even what tomorrow looks like. And it's not promised but I had to be aware of what today looked like for me. So, yeah. Yeah, wow. A moment. Well, you should have went last because now my, I don't even want to go. No, but I think... thought <laughs> <laughs> you should have went last. <laughs> I'm not mindful of nothing anyway. It's just, yeah. <laughs> I'm mindful of these wings I just ate. <laughs> like, Why did I just eat wings though? Legit, I did. <laughs> Between the ponytails and the wings. Y'all are on it tonight. Y'all are on it. Divided. Oh, move. Ponytails and wings. Ponytail. Listen, and they kind of like a little pigtail, really. Like, I was really proud to be able to pull these little baby locks into this little half up, half down situation. I was proud. (laughs) I was proud. (laughs) Is that what you're mindful of? No, but yes. Yes, but no. <laughs> My God. Hey, it, it, give thanks for all things, okay? All things. Amen. Amen. <laughs> but no, but I'm, I'm, I have two today, though. I'm mindful for... The first thing I'm mindful for is that 
Um, I, you know, with all this COVID situation we've been talking about, we've talked about children going back to school. I mentioned on either the, you know, one of our previous podcasts that I fully intend to keep my children home um, and do like, you know, homeschool virtual learning. Um, and I just am mindful that I have the, that that's even an option for me. I'm mindful of the fact that, like I've been just seeing so many people on social media who are, um, so I feel like there are two different, there are three different types of parents, right? Like they're the parents who are um, able to stay home and also willing, right? And then there are those who are able and unwilling, right? Like they just don't have the capacity um, whatever that means for them to be home with their children. That's not their jam. They, you know, they just don't have it. They, they don't, they don't see that as something that they can do successfully. Right. And then there are, the, there are those who um, maybe they're either they're, they're, they're unable, even if they're willing, right. Or they may be a, unable and also unwilling. Right. So there's also those parents who just don't, it's not an option whether they want it to or not. Right. They just can't um, be home. And I'm just thankful that, I am both able and willing. Like I'm one of those moms who um, my children being home, I mean, I ain't lying. Sometimes I need a break, but <laughs> but for the most part, like they, I love them being home. I love them being with me. I love, I love that. Um, and so I'm also, I'm also able, my work schedule allows me to be able to be home with them and also be able to make a, a living for us where I can, you know, still make sure that our household runs the way that we're used to it running. And so I'm, I'm just mindful of that. I think that that's something that I'm not sure I sat with enough. Like I made the decision to do it, but I don't think I really sat with it enough. And I just am really thankful. And so oddly enough, our school district went 100% virtual anyway. Um, and so, you know, again, that didn't shake me. It didn't, it didn't shake the ground that I walk on because it was already a choice that I was prepared to make. I'd already made that choice. I was already preparing to move that direction. And I'm just... I'm just really grateful that that's the situation that I have right now, because I know there are a lot of families that don't have that. And so um, also just, you know, lending some mindfulness to them as they figure out what the heck they're going to do. Um, those working families and people who, you know, are trying to figure it out and make it work for their family. And then my second thing is that <laughs> I have um, made a conscious decision to stop being chubby. <laughs> Oh, just close my computer just now. Oh, you was just going, you was going to shut it down. <laughs> Game over. See y'all later. Next week. Okay, Next Mimi. Week. <laughs> All right, Mimi. <laughs> no, but for real, like, I have gained so much weight during the quarantine since COVID started, and I was already trending upward before then. I just need to, I need to move. My diet's not terrible. Um, I just need to get active. And so this week, um, I started getting up and moving. And um, my friend Erica's been my accountability partner. And we've been working out every day. Sometimes I kick her, but sometimes she kicks mine. <laughs> it all works out. And so um, I'm thankful for that because, we, like you said, with your walking partner, like it's somebody to hold you accountable, um, which is sometimes essential until you kind of get that self-motivation um, going. So I'm mindful of that. And happy it makes you feel good like my heart's all happy when I work out and 
my legs hurt, but I know they're happy. My muscles are happy. My joints, you know, so. Yeah. Don't it feel weird that you get to, you know, what some people might consider midlife before you decide to get your life in order? Like, okay, why did I have to wait until I was 40 to get into shape or even my mid 30s? I was just like, man, like, why didn't I start this? Well, I I think it's because I know for me, I'm blessed with a relatively fast metabolism. So like, and I have decent genes. Thanks, Mama Rose. (laughs) So I think, you know, like the older you get, the slower your metabolism is. And so all of a sudden, some of the crap you used to eat or the way you could like be lazy and lay around, like that stuff don't fly after a certain point in your life. And so then you'd be like, oh, hold up, because we're, I always had a little back fat, but she'd be like, hold it. Like, <laughs> I'm rolling, rolling like Pillsbury over here. What is this? My God. Where's this thing come from? Where? Where? I, like, I might have had a moment where I was sitting on the floor and I was like, that's, that's my butt like that? I mean, I really, I was like, why does it feel like that? I really had a moment. And it's yeah. like, you know, like it is very, I feel like that one little roll is like, it's like, nah, son. <laughs> oh, we literally rolling with you everywhere. Right. Like, oh. Yeah. And then I almost got a fupa. Like, I just can't. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, <laughs> I can't be that girl that they say she real cute in the face. <laughs> but it's some under this roll. <laughs> you know what they say now. Me no one So I got to get my behind out here and get active and get moving. So I'm, I mean, it I does mindful. feel good. Yeah, it does feel good. You do feel good. Mentally and physically, it feels good to move your body. I won't lie. You know, it, it just like it feels good to eat well. Just like it feels good to eat well. Like I can remember going on a Daniel fast and at the end of that 40 days feeling lighter having clarity mental clarity sleeping better skin popping but I hated it wait I'm laughing because you remember we recorded that when you finished the Daniel fast you was when? like at 12.02 I was in McDonald's I was in McDonald's drive through through, baby that first one I did Ashley I'm not playing that mm-hmm. first Daniel fast I did, I could like that last week, I could have drop kicked anything green into oh, yeah. like I was done. So I was like, I'm tired of eating plants, I'm tired of having bland. I want some junk, and I promise you, I got up out of my bed at like 11 55. I'm not playing. McDonald's was like a mile away. You know how I used to get down in college, me and Demara. Baby, I had the the vehicle burnt up. And at the time, you know, I'm living alone. So ain't no judgment. Don't nobody know what I'm doing or even care. I was in McDonald's drive through like, waiting. Let me Just get that 10 piece. My stomach was tripping. My stomach was tripping. You know what I did? I just massaged it like this. I was like, go ahead. It's all right. Because we're not living like that. I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't. I We're not living like that, like I, the last 40 days. <laughs> no, no, no. 
No, no, we're carnivores over here. <laughs> I call it the grass diet because uh, you just eat, you eat grass for 20 days. Girl, it was like, it was a <laughs> it was a struggle when your friends pull you into something but don't really prepare you oh. for it. Because like literally I made the decision to do that fast probably the night before it started. So my cupboard, as they say, was not prepared at all. So I struggled in the beginning. By the end, I was cool, but... Oh, well, apparently not. <laughs> Baby, listen. Right. By the end... You 12 well, no, too, like... No, I over. wasn't cool in that regard. But I didn't have anything tempting in my home. <laughs> oh, God. Girl, that's funny. That's funny. Yeah. Okay, so we only got... Well, Ashley, God bless it. Thank you. You probably oh, giving us more time than you ever uh, envisioned. Okay. But so look, let's move on. Yes. Inbox report. Now we did have some stuff in the inbox, but I'm going to read one um, comment slash question slash question that I had thought about, but I forgot because there are so many thoughts all over the place. And this comes from Demara. And the first thing she says is, can we squash this idea that people are losing if they don't emerge from this pandemic with a real estate portfolio debt-free and a new body? Um, and I was just like, whoo, yes. I meant to talk about that on our COVID thing. And my nurse's note about that is, this is something that most of us have never seen or lived through before. And so what I have to say is your goal should be to do no harm. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Um, if you emerge with something new, great. If you feel like you've used your time productively, productively, and I like to reframe what productive means because um, movement isn't always productive. But if you emerge with something like that, good for you if that's something that you intended to do and that's something that you wanted to do. But I don't think that anybody is a failure if they don't. If you survive this thing, you already won in my mind. I agree. And I like survive like in every way, like physically, emotionally, <laughs> mentally, spiritually. Yeah. Yes. If your children survive, because I don't want it to like, you know <laughs> what I'm saying? A couple people. children. It's been... <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> rough mm -hmm. yeah financially if you survive yes. then yeah. so for me yeah. I'm like just do no harm don't don't become an alcoholic don't become a drug addict don't beat your family members and kids you know what I'm saying like don't don't engage in harmful behavior to try and cope yeah. but yeah. if you are just maintaining the status quo you want Yes. I agree. And anything else is icing on a damn cake. Mm -hmm. If you if you do build your credit, great. Great. That's icing. If you do, you know, start a new business, wonderful. Great. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Anxiety, depression, all of that rise during this time. So like, it's okay to just feel and be mindful. Like, we are in a pandemic, y'all. Like, it's totally okay to be like, we're in a shitty pandemic. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. And like I was saying before, like, you know, when it first started, everybody's anxiety felt high because it was new. <clears throat> anxiety hasn't dropped. It's become like our new baseline. And so even though we don't feel that level of stress, it's still up there. And so it's easy to forget. Like you said, we are in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> like It's easy to forget that because your new baseline is up here. 
Yep. And it ebbs and flows. So, you know, it's like, okay, June is coming. I guess let's go outside. And then June comes and you're like, I can't go to the beach. And then right. here we are in August and we're like, we're going back to school. Wait a minute. I can't go to the beach for my kids to go to school. You know, so it ebbs and flows. That's true. And that's normal. It is super normal. And I think we forget that like whatever this new normal is and or this new way of looking at life it's survival and as long as you survive like you said like that's that's the healthiest option for us right now so that's good survival yeah Yeah, i think it's yeah it's been super tough too because from the beginning of the year you're thinking okay okay maybe by summer but as the days pass especially being a healthcare professional (laughs) Be like, yeah, 2020 is just canceled. And so now it's even like 2021 is looking questionable. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's tough. So, yeah, productivity is subjective. And mm-hmm. at this point, yeah. you know, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. So, that was all I had to say. We can get into our topic, topic real quick and we're talking about exclusively black spaces and what that means anybody want to go first which are necessary and required and healthy for black bodies mm-hmm. why I mean, you know, I'm, I'm going to yield to our expert. I think I, I want to hear what Ashley has to say. I mean, truly, I have thoughts and ideas about it, um, you know, but I, I, I'm, I'm interested to see what you have to say about the importance and the value of that. Yes, I think mentally black spaces are truly important to us because um, so from a therapeutic perspective, I'm going to do both therapy, Ashley, counselor, Ashley, and then hood, Ashley. Um, so <laughs> So from a therapeutic perspective, being in spaces that are exclusive to us um, creates anxiety, depression, imposter syndrome. Um, And so all of these things that we're already dealing with internally, we have to deal with externally. Um, And so when those spaces don't include us, when we have to um, create spaces at the table or create, you know, or beg for places, um, it becomes daunting. And so then, of course, the anxiety levels increase, stress levels increase. And so, you know, that's how the um, trauma can suffer. We can suffer from trauma in those moments. And people don't realize that racial trauma is a thing. Um, racial trauma is a very real thing. We're starting to see that, especially with what we're living in in our society. But the DSM-5, it's a whole other thing. Uh-huh. Uh, uh-huh. does not see it as a thing but i'm sorry i must can i just put a pin right there i just want to make sure we explain to our listeners our viewers what the dsm-5 is we all know what it is but i want to make sure that everybody is aware of what that means yes it's this big purple book that, that helps us figure out if you have a mental disorder or not it is basically our catalog to help assess individuals who are struggling with some sort of mental disorder okay um, it is a guideline for us um, but like a lot of other things was created by white men. And so that even excludes African-American bodies, brown bodies. And so that becomes 
daunting, it becomes draining, it becomes hard. Um, and so then all of these other mental disorders that are not even inclusive of us surface. And so we do have levels of stress, depression, anxiety. And so places like the church, they, they shun that, you know, so we're going to pray about it, which is already in a, a black space for us, but it also can be hard. Um, and so black spaces are necessary because of those. So that's the therapeutic perspective. Hood, Ashley. <laughs> Ooh, sweet Jesus. I might, in my mind, I just Me too. All Me too. Things. Me too. I'm like, that's a topic. That's a topic. I'm like, look. <laughs> it's the whole thing. It's the whole thing. And, and I say that because, um, and so this is why I was moving over, is that my personal experience, I have been excluded in my workplace for a very long time. And prior to moving into my own private practice and into a Black-owned mental health agency, I was traumatized. Um, and so I had to live this imposter syndrome life. I had to, like, my, my credibility was questioned. Um, my Blackness was questioned. Um, and that's a really hard thing to do because then you're like, well, what's wrong? Like, is something wrong with me? Like... You know, like I went to therapy before, but working in a white space pushed me to therapy. Um, and I'm grateful for my therapist because I was affirmed in that moment that your blackness is important and there are black spaces for you. Um, and so like it has become a thing now where like if you're not black or brown, I have a really hard time being around you. I really, really do. I've actually, um, and I put this on Facebook a couple months ago, but I've been triggered by the racial tension that's happening in America. And so many Black women have the same stories. And I'm like, well, where were y'all that six years ago when these white women was coming for me? And I, you know, I felt alone, but I was in a white space. And so I didn't realize that there were all these Black women who were doing the same thing in their white spaces because we're excluded from white spaces. So the therapeutic part of me realizes that it's important having a Black therapist, having a Black doctor, having all of these Black things are important because our Black and brown bodies, um, and I'm saying this in the, the way that, the best way I can, I guess, somewhat we are still slaves to white people in our bodies, in our mentality, in our corporate world, our money, um, they, again, they love our culture, but they don't want to love us or celebrate us. And so it becomes very anxiety provoking and very stressful. And it, it creates these, um, these, the mental, mental disorders or mental illnesses that are hard to break. And so we have to find and be inclusive of all brown and black bodies, regardless of what we think, I struggle with black Republicans, but they black. And I, there is this whole all skin folk and kin folk thing. So we, you know, we can talk about that at some point. But, you know, white spaces exclude us intentionally and they use our bodies for their own service. And so there's this, um, this tension that we often feel, which is valid because of the way that we are seen. And so I say that they use us as still as modern day slaves, not fully, but the way that they take our culture, all of the things that are that we create and make it theirs, we they, it becomes a slave mentality for them or kind of a slave owner type thing for them. So yeah. 
That was, that was a long way around it. Well, we're going to pass Thank the collection plate because <laughs> that was a whole word. Everybody, good night. It's been nice having you. Um, yeah, we pretty much don't need it to, to say anything else. I mean, open the doors of the church because yeah. is there one? <laughs> yeah. You need really? help. Yeah, yeah. I, I think too, um, for me, one of the issues that I personally have is why other Black people cannot um, center themselves and wrap their minds around this concept. Um, mm. It bothers me when, like, for instance, I'm new to Atlanta, okay? And I fully believe in what you said, Ashley. I want a Black doctor. I want a Black dentist. I want a Black mechanic. Um, I want a black therapist. I want a black hairstylist, esthetician. You know what I'm saying? The gamut. The whole thing. My, I want my squad to be black. Black well, pediatrician. I want them all black, you know. And I put on Nextdoor, which we all may be familiar with this neighborhood mm -hmm. app where, you know, folks chit chatter, do whatever about their neighborhoods online. I'm like, hey, does anyone know a good black dentist in the area? And instead of people saying this person or that person, it's always the thing you want looking for in black dentist. If you don't have a suggestion, is that how they sound? <laughs> you know, if I could do the SpongeBob, <laughs> the uppercase lowercase, when do you have to be black? <laughs> if you don't have a suggestion, you may keep scrolling. You may keep scrolling. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Because this is not the place for me to tease that out for you. And if you haven't figured that out, I can't even fix it for you. Mm -hmm. You haven't figured out why that's important. Like, seriously. And then why do you need to question why it's important to me? Well, you know, white people don't have to think about those things. They this don't have other to. Black people. Oh, these are from other black people? Yes. Yes, yeah. that's my point. I was hoping you hadn't said that. <laughs> no, that's, that's what I'm I'm like, I wrote, why can't Black people be okay with this concept that exclusively Black spaces are a necessity for us and our mental health and seeing a Black practitioner and seeing a Black face when you go somewhere is what we need. But there's the people out there like, I'm not understanding why it has to, because Black people can treat you poorly too. And you know what I'm saying? Apologists for mm -hmm. other white people or other races, non-Black. I don't but even see, say white anymore. I say non-Black. I think that lends, what you're saying, lends more ideas to what Ashley said about how a lot of this is like, we're slaves to them like that that's a mind that's a slave like mindset mentality that says like what are you apologize like <laughs> is that unfathomable or yes, what? that is but that's like, it goes back to that where it's like it's in your mindset your mindset is still chained your the way you think your thought process is still chained where you can't even understand the idea that a black person might want to see a black provider. Yeah. yeah or even why not, why can't you um, unpack the idea that I would like to first give my money to somebody black? In Atlanta though, I that think too. I'm still struggling. That too. I don't sway 
How? The Black experience is global. <laughs> the Black American experience is unique, but the same. It doesn't matter where you go. You know what I'm saying? Uh, colonization, there's not a place that it hadn't touched. <clears throat> and white supremacy, there's not a place that it hadn't touched. And I feel like sometimes Black people are some of the best white supremacists. Some of the best. Yes. Mm. But yeah, I think that that bothers me. But then too, you know, I think in 2020, I saw this post that said in 2020, which is like the information age, if you don't know something, ignorance is a choice, right? Because you have the opportunity to find it out on your own. You don't independently, you don't even need to ask anybody else. And so it's frustrating to me to hear white people, white liberals or whoever want to have this big kumbaya moment or be on some, look at Ryan. Girl, <laughs> because the white liberals are the worst. Yeah, want to have this big kind of kumbaya moment when um, there's been no atonement and you can't be completely unaware of your privilege, um, the impact that you have, the weapons of your skin, your tears, your words, your whatever, you cannot be completely unaware of those things. I just refuse to believe. I refuse. I think what I have began to accept is that the struggle for white people not, what'd you say, what'd you call them, Tasha? Non-black people, you don't call them white people, you call them. No, 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 no. The I'll, struggle I'll... is not that they don't know. It's that they cannot or they refuse to accept mm. their position, their part, their role. Because I think that people, when people hear the term racism or racist, they think Ku Klux Klan, burning crosses. They think directly calling a black person the N word. They think using racial slurs. They think, you know, for intentionally not hiring people of color. They think like it's super out and it's loud, right? The overt thing. Yes. But that, but, but what, what people struggle to accept is their participation in the system mm. and the fact that they have benefited simply by their existence. They have benefited from the racist system in which we live. That's the piece that people can accept. Because I think people who are overtly racist, they know, they ain't got no problem accepting that they, they hate, they, they out there, they loud and they proud with it, right? It's the people, it's the everyday folks, those liberals, those white liberals, right, who want to gentrify the city and move into the city and send their kids to public school and do all these things. Those are the main ones who cannot accept their privilege, their participation in these racist systems. And yep. I, that's what I think that the biggest challenge is for, for non-Black people. <laughs> no, Black. no. Let me clarify that. I say non-Black because I think anti-Blackness is something that a lot of races are. <laughs> oh, for sure. And so when I say, I can't just say white people when talking about anti-blackness because true. whiteness has been the measuring stick mm -hmm. in, in any culture and any race. 
or whatever. So white people, sure, but non-black people are in that too, because we, especially in America, have a very unique experience, which is why I'm resistant to the term people of color. I do not like that term. Don't call me people of color. Um, it's a misnomer. Come on, Ashley. I can't, I can't stand it. I can't. And there's this thing, and I'm doing this sometimes too, because I don't want to exclude my friends who are both like, I call them, they are both Latina and, and African American, but like brown and black are two different things. They are. It's a different brown experience. And black are two, they are two different things. On the census, I'm black or African American. They don't put me in brown. Think I'm black or African American. And so when we're talking about that, we have to like make the distinction and be real with that. Um, mm-hmm. But yet, um, yes, keep going. You, I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I think that people of color is a blanket term um, that's used, that's like a political buzzword. Um, but if there's anything negative that happens, it's never people of color was doing blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and so for me, I'm like, it's all or nothing. Either I'm people of color or I'm black. I'm not going to be people of color when it's convenient for you and black when it's inconvenient for me. You know what I'm saying? I can't, uh, I can't do that. Yeah, no, that's true. I, I agree with that. Um, <clears throat> I agree with that. I will say that, um, you know, there, so there's, you know, there's people of color and then there's black indigenous people of color, that term. And I prefer that because it specifically identifies black, the black experience and the indigenous experience because they are, they have been the most impacted by in, in the Americas, right? Like our experiences have been very similar um, and been the, have had the worst outcomes in terms of this blanket people of color, right? So it's like black indigenous and people of color. So when you're talking about this wide a range of people who, you know, are non-whites. I prefer that term because it specifically lists Black people and then also Indigenous people to say that that experience is like, mm-hmm. has had the most, what'd you say? Separate. It's separate. It's separate, yes. It's separate from the, the people of color as a blanket term. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It's hard out here. <laughs> you said what? It's hard out here. Yeah. yeah. I will also say that like in terms of like um, the importance and the value of all black spaces, I think that what 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 black people need to understand when we are valuing all black spaces and um, fearlessly protecting our all black spaces is that it's not about exclusion. It's about including us because we have been excluded. Like Ashley just so eloquently spoke about, like we have been excluded. We are excluded. It doesn't matter what field you're in, like your experience, Ashley, as like a therapist, as a counselor, spoke to my experience as a lactation professional. Like I'm an IBCLC. And so when I go to conferences, I mean, we it's, it's the exact same experience. It's that same exact trauma you spoke of being one of few Black people at a conference of mo- predominantly white women, you know, mm-hmm. and, and experiencing legitimate racial trauma. 
you know, in at these conferences. And so it's, it's, it doesn't matter what field you're, I'm sure teachers could speak to the same. I'm sure doctors could speak to the same. I'm sure it doesn't matter. It's the mm-hmm. same experience because that's, that is the system, right? Mm-hmm. That is the way the systems are built. And so I think that that's this, you know, we need to understand it. And white people need to understand the same thing that it's not about, or non-black people need to understand that it's not about exclusion. It ain't really about y'all. Our safe space isn't about you. It's about us. It's about protecting us, providing a safe space for us, a healthy space where we can talk and collaborate and converse and heal, (laughs) have a safe space to discuss our trauma and heal. Um, That's important for us to realize. And I think that white people, particularly white people, fear not uh, all black spaces for the same reasons they always have, right? When we think about, we go back to slavery, right? Black people weren't allowed to gather together except for church and they gave, they gave religion to us, right? We were mm-hmm. not allowed to gather or congregate together for fear, right? That we were going to converse Do and to collaborate and rise up. We were going to become free. That was the fear. And I think that same fear still exists today. That if, why can't we come? Oh, white people ain't invited. Can we come? Can I volunteer? Can I, what, can I, can I come? No, girl, you can't. (laughs) Right. Karen Mash, she can't come to the barbecue. Thank you, but no, you cannot. And I think, what'd you say? I said, Karen Mash, she can't come to the barbecue. Yes, man, can't come. You may not come. You're not invited. But it's that fear, fear, fear that we're going to be free, that we will come up with something that will free us from what you already said is that 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 little bit of slavery or entanglement. Right. That continues to (laughs) exist among us in these systems that are that are broken, that are racist. I think, too, um, when you're dealing with a people who has been entitled to everything, it is a foreign concept mm-hmm. to be like, oh, I, what, me? I can't go? I, who made these rules? I'd like to speak to your manager. No, yes. girl. No. Your no. <laughs> oh, because I'm so, I'll be clowning. But, man, I, Yeah. That to me is one of the things. But for me, I literally, like, I went to a training. I'm not going to say what that training was. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure you you all will be able to relate. I went to a training that was a For Us By Us production. And I ins- expected that I would be in a room full of all Black people. And I wasn't. And I immediately, like... I don't care if you say something, make a gesture, something happens in your body. Mm-hmm. Something happens in your body mm-hmm. when you walk into a space where you expected it to be exclusively black and it's not. Or even if you are walking into a space where it's, you know, you know it was going to be a mixed crowd or whatever, something happens in a black person's body when they walk into that room. It's either an eye roll if you thought it was going to be an exclusively black space. Like, damn, we can't have, is usually how I feel. (laughs) I'm like, really? We can't have anything to ourselves. Yeah. Or you feel tense or the cold switch is already happening. 
and the code switch would be, you know, some people call it your good credit voice or just whatever. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Black people posture all the time for white people's comfort. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that to that, me is why a, an exclusively black space is important so we could just be and relax and slouch and use slang if that's what we want to do and we don't have to explain what the damn slang mean and you know what i'm saying like yes no. even if you're not using slang just speaking about the black experience is a foreign language to a non-black person but we get it which is why if you are not in an all-black space and you kind of walk into a situation and you know you might be the only black person walking into only black professional walking into a conference or something and you see a black person you like you like like, sit next to me (laughs) you slowly inch your way over yeah. yeah, you slowly, you get close. You'd be like, I don't want to be like creeper style. Yeah. But yeah, at the break, I'm a be hey, I'd be like, what's up, girl? Where you from? Where you been? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you here too? You here too? Yes. And they don't get it. And then y'all sit next to each other and y'all keep kicking. They don't even understand that. Mm-hmm. Because these are things they don't have to think about. White people don't have to think about being the only person in a space and how that feels, how that makes you feel tense, how you do, your body does change, your posture does change, your mind does shift, you do cold switch, you do start to have imposter syndrome, all these things happen innately too, like you don't even, you don't intentionally switch up, your body just does it, it just happens. Yep. It just happens. Or the white person at the conference, white woman, mm-hmm. who is like, um, hey, I, you know, I, or you know, they see two black people together and they want to sit down and get to know you both. I don't, no, I didn't, we didn't invite you to our table. I like, was vibing actually, and <laughs> you're killing our vibe. So, <laughs> we're a mood, and you're like a mood killer. So, like, <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Go don't away. be a mood killer. Don't be a mood killer. No. And there are, <laughs> of, again, there are a lot of Beckys that I've had to be like. And, and so the other part of this is that once I left this hard place, I became so confident in my blackness that I was like, oh, let a Becky try me now. Man, <laughs> man. <laughs> so That's real. You about to get snatched and put That's all, real. all the way together. And also, when you're comfortable in your blackness, I feel like your the imposter syndrome goes down. The code switching goes down. All of it. It all goes down, and it's all the power of being in an all black space. And it's the freedom to finally be yourself. Yes. And I think that's what a lot of African Americans or black people sometimes struggle with is this freedom, this cold switching thing, this imposter syndrome that keeps us bound. And then once we become comfortable in our blackness, once we re, re I guess, vitalize ourselves in our blackness, then we're like, that's a Becky man. I ain't got time. Listen, two years ago, before I left my job, every status was about I can't stand white women. I did not care. Now I have a different <laughs> professional, you know, more professional brand I'm going to uphold. But like every now and then I'm like, hey, white people, are y'all, y'all still Black Lives Matter this week or y'all off the train? You know, so like I, I think the stronger I became within myself and mentally because it had broken me down so bad, mm-hmm. I was able to like regroup and say like, hey, 
hey, Becky, we're, we're, you're a moon killer right now, like, go away. And I, I didn't care at that point because I don't think that they, like, I think, Ryan, you might have mentioned this, like, they don't care. They don't have to care about being in those spaces. Nope. I do. And so now I don't care about you invading this space and I don't care about, I care about you invading this space, but I don't care about telling you to leave. Because no, because you got 500 other tables you can go talk to. Go talk to somebody else, Becky. <laughs> what oh. is that, though? What What is that, that incessant need to be in proximity or even to, to um, I don't know, label or show yourself as a, quote, ally? What is that? Like, I feel like that gets under my skin too. You know what I'm saying? So it's, you know how, I know people have said before, like, well, what do black people really want? You know, <laughs> because right. anytime something comes up, like, damn, y'all can't be made happy out of the situation. But there is an authenticity that comes with that um getting to know you or trying to make a connection that feels so much more different than uh, that like oh look there's two black women sitting next to each other i want more black friends hi but the whole thing is they don't want more black friends they want to know what the hell we're talking about that part and we can sniff care. that out from a mile yeah. away mm -hmm. yeah i think that you know, you spoke about the authenticity of the thing. And I think that being an ally doesn't require your face to be, for you to be the poster child of it. Recognition. Yes, yeah. that's what most people want. They want a cookie for standing up for what is just. And that that's not gonna fly with black 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 people, you know, especially black women. Like we can see you from a mile away, like we can pick you up from a mile away. And so if you need a cookie, if you need to like tell us all the things you've done to be real out here in these Black Lives Matter streets, okay, girl, sit down. We don't want you. We don't need you to have a resume of all you've done to be an ally because allyship speaks for itself. Mm -hmm. And when you present yourself as an ally. It, it comes with a, a certain authenticity, right? Like you'll, it, it rolls in with you. It's a part of who you are, not just what you do. And, and so, you know, I think that's huge where I think a lot of, a lot of white people get it wrong in terms of what it means to be an ally. We don't need a resume. We don't need a check off list of all the things you have, all the friends you've got and all the things you've done. We don't care. We care about this moment in time right now. And also, I think a lot of times people who are allies don't understand that sometimes as an ally, you have to know when, when you are up front, when you're protecting black people and when you're taking a back seat to, lead, to let black people lead. Mm -hmm. Because ultimately this charge for our freedom, this charge for our healing, we are leading that cause. Like that's us, that's on us, we're leading it. Sometimes when your crazy white cousins get in the way, then that's when you jump up front, right? <laughs> you, you educate them, that's when you protect black people. But other than that, you're not leading the charge, yeah. right? Like, and I think that like, that's hard, a hard concept for, for white people, especially to understand, like you talk about Latasha, because they feel entitled. They bled everything. They, they crusade through every guy. 
but <laughs> because but of the be broken systems in which we live, by the time we catch up to what they're doing, they already on to the next thing. And so they already knew we were going to fight for equality. And so they said, cool, well, y'all can come to school with us, but we want you like trash. And then it's going to mess up y'all's neighborhoods and all this, like, <laughs> all this inclusion that you want so bad. Here you go. Black man, black woman. And then white, and now, white. Now you're going, now you're broken, right? Because you're in this all white space where we treat you like trash and you have access to this great education, but you're not going to learn anything because you're going to be crying all day because we're going to talk to you like trash and we're going to pay the same as we pay the white people, but you're here. And I mean, it's like, you know, and so then we start, that's when, that's where this idea of equity came from. It was born from us fighting for equality and inclusion, but they, they on the next thing already. Yeah. You know yeah. what I'm saying? It's like we're just trying to catch up. We're trying to catch up. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. we've mentioned um, racial trauma multiple times. Can we define that? What mm. What is racial trauma, Ashley? It's so, it's <laughs> so hard. Not really. It is the um, the effects of basically racist behavior from a system that is not meant to include us. Um, and so it is the outcome of experiencing sorts of, um, again, racist behavior, oppression, dismiss dismissive behavior in certain spaces. Um, it's the outcome of those things. And so we, um, so let me also say PTSD is a mental health disorder. Many of us try, to, many people say that they have PTSD. What we actually have are trauma experiences. Um, unless you're diagnosed with PTSD because of some sort of extenuating harsh circumstance. The racial trauma that we experience is a kind of a, I would say like a, a small umbrella to that in that we have a trauma related to racial encounters that have been meant to exclude us. Mm -hmm. um, and it has become more prevalent, especially within the last five or six years because of the police brutality. Systemic racism is becoming more prevalent and we're identifying it and talking about it more. Um, and social media is actually calling a lot of this out. Mm -hmm. So we, many of us are experiencing forms of racial trauma. Us seeing the videos over and over again is creating a traumatic response in us that is based on our race. What does that look like physically? Um, the trauma? Mm-hmm. Oh, child. How does that, how does that um, how could you identify express it? itself? Yeah. 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 So it's, it's really hard to identify because we already are experiencing like trauma from, again, these systemic, these systemic, it's oppressive already. So um, I would say people who, again, have higher amounts of anxiety, they're afraid to go outside. Um, they stay in the house. They are always on social media and watching the videos over and over again. Sometimes people are traumatized by that. And so they have to recamp it. Re I'm sorry, re-see it, recant it. Mm. Um, sometimes for people, they can't sleep. They have nightmares. Um, and then there's sometimes there are people who are afraid to drive because they're not sure what's happening with them. So for people who are afraid of police officers, um, our fear is heightened. So they stop driving or they have somebody drive them around. They only, it's almost like a car accident. You go in one direction, you do the same thing over and over again to avoid anything happening to you. 
So usually racial trauma kind of sneaks up on us because it kind of comes in waves. So again, even though the world is protesting, we're kind of like, we're slightly removed from it because it's not happening to us. Mm-hmm. But that, the next Black man that will be shot and then the video is released, that racial trauma continues to surface. And so we're feeling it again and again. Mm-hmm. Is it possible for somebody to have racial trauma? Like, let's say, you know, because of because of social media and because of the, all the video recording and all that stuff, which has been to our benefit a lot because... Um, before this is like racial and police brutality is not new right like it's something that's always been there but now we have our smartphones we can record it we can have we have evidence proof that it's there but is it possible that um that has an impact on the way a person may engage or interact with a police officer during like a normal traffic stop and so we talk about like this fight or flight is it possible that that racial trauma can present itself in a way that a person may respond differently than they even like understand or realize. Absolutely, absolutely. Because we're so again the fight or flight, you become fearful. So trauma, an actual traumatic response is to be afraid of something, and so you become afraid because this power figure has authority over me, and I don't know what to do. So you become fearful in the moment, you respond differently than you're used to responding, and so it can go either way. So mm-hmm. you, um, you, can, you can become combative, or you can like freeze, and it becomes a whole different thing. Um, and so it's a power structure that has created this for us, and if something happens within that power structure, it can paralyze us, or take us to a totally different extreme. Because we're too traumatized to even rationalize what's happening in the moment. A big part of trauma, and I didn't say this, is that we become so paralyzed mentally, we're not sure what's ha- what happens next. You kind of get like the like you you no longer are um, rational. You become very irrational in your thinking, and so your behavior then becomes irrational after that. Mm-hmm. So absolutely, absolutely, it can be yes. a black cop, a white cop, anything. Mm-hmm. We actually had another question too, um, which this is kind of in line with that. So I'm just going to go ahead and put it out there. This was from Demira as well. She said, neurologically, what happens as we continue to subject ourselves to the trauma of viewing and reading of Black murders? Yes. Oh, wow. yes. I say this all the time. Get off social media. Stop reading the news. I tell people all the time on Instagram, go read the shame room. Like they got some news, but they always got some mess going on. And you can read the comments and just giggle for two hours if you want to. Um, but neurologically, what happens is that our minds become subjected to um, this response of "I don't know what's happening," and so then you become mis- you become paralyzed, um, and so you don't know. How- Again, your mind becomes irrational. So your how you navigate the day you're not really sure of how to deal with that so again if you're in a car accident and um you you avoid right hand turns so now you, everything you do you make a left hand turn and that's what mm-hmm. happens um and so that's what happens sometimes when we're con- when we become we also become desensitized so then we become desensitized to it so then it's like well you know i'm gonna keep watching it one of my friends who's one of my really good friends, she's also a nurse, she says, I watch the videos because I want to know what's happening so that if it happens to me, everybody knows what's happening. And I was like, wow. why are you doing that? Why? Yeah. It was for her. It 
afforded her the opportunity to, to mentally experience that pain for that person, but also so that she knows, so she's aware of what's happening to our Black men. And I was like, girl, after the first two, I had to stop. But she's mentally, she's in a place where she could do that. Um, me, I'm not gonna watch it because then I'm gonna find a white woman and hurt her. You know, like not really, but like that's a traumatic response. You know, and then you become angrier and it's hard to, to coexist in a world when the when a societal, when it's a racist, racist, systemic, oppressive world for us anyway. It's hard to live in that. Um, I'm actually presenting at a conference in September on Insta whole and how we become engrossed in this social media whole with these kind of traumas. And so the more we watch them, the more we read them, the more we share them, we become our own emotionally empty whole. And it's hard to come back from that. Mm-hmm. Really, really hard to come back from that. So yes, neurologically, there are severe implications to continue to watch the same thing over. It becomes nightmare. You have nightmares. Um, you have daymares. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. really hard to function in that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, um, one of my, I won't say favorite speakers, but she is, well, maybe she is one of my favorite speak, speakers, Dr. Joy um, DeGruy, I think is how you say her last name, DeGruy. I don't know how you say it. Okay. At any rate, I love her. And she talks about um, post-traumatic slave syndrome. Mm-hmm. And for me, what you just said, Ashley, this just brings up everything with that. And when I, when I mention that, I'm talking about how trauma is passed genetically. It is. And, you know, all of us, and this is something that I've I thought about years and years and years ago, but I didn't have a name for it. I'm like, why is it that when we hear stories and see um, pictures or recounts of the the slave exper- experience, that we are we have such a visceral response, or emotional response? And I'm like, that has to be because I'm carrying that somewhere in my body, you know. Yes. Yes. Um, yes. And so now I think about that with people who watch the videos, um, who do that over and over again. Like that's something that I, I stopped doing too, Ashley. I can't keep doing that. Just be, I mean, for the weight of it in and of itself. But when I think about what I'm taking into my body, you know, just like a food, (laughs) just like music, just like a sexual partner, Mm -hmm. I'm taking that and I'm consuming that, that is um, being deposited somewhere inside of my body. Mm-hmm. And vicarious trauma is a real thing also. So a lot of us are experiencing some trauma from somebody else who's watching it, who's talking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, when you share the video in one group thread and somebody else shares it in another, or you watching it here and somebody else sharing it, and this, a video of somebody getting killed has 300 million views. Why? Right. Why? But my counseling practice got 200. You know, like there is a difference in what we view as a priority to us. Um, and so intergenerational and vicarious trauma are both, both very real things, very real things. Yeah. I also think, so as it, so two things, as it pertains to um, the, the, the difference in the amount of views for, for something like somebody being murdered or whatever and something else that may be positive or like you know a video that like 
like us being live tonight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I think sometimes we 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 may not we may watch it because we've been gaslighted for generations, mm-hmm. right? Like this country has gaslighted us that what we say is our experience is not our experience. And so then when somebody has videotaped what we've been saying all this time, mm-hmm. it's like you want to see it so that you can be like, I that's, it's not because we want to see somebody be killed. It's not because we want to be traumatized. It's like, damn it, we've been saying it. And now it's on video. And it's like, I feel like that's the reason why they get so many views is because that is legitimately our experience. We know it. We live it. We've heard it. Like, everybody says the same thing. So when somebody has it on videotape, even like the barbecue Bettys and the, you know, picnic patties or whatever, like we watch those too, because we know those are our experiences. And so, but people will tell us that we're lying, that we made it up, that it wasn't as serious, that she was just being nice, whatever. And we like, hell no, like we were there. We saw what happened, but we have been gaslighted so much. I feel like that's why the views are so high. It's because we want to, we got to confirm. It's like, we like, am I tripping? And it's like, oh no, somebody made a video. Like, let me watch it because that's what I, that's what happened to my friend. That's what happened. You know what I'm saying? We got to watch it to, to confirm to our own brain mm-hmm. what we know to be true. Mm-hmm. Right? I think that brings up two things for me. First, um, I think it's by design that <laughs> the videos stay out there. Um, again, these platforms are not owned by us. And I think that it is working to a purpose that the videos are not taken down. Like you have the power to take down a video, just like you can take down something as pro-black or whatever, or now they have the whole um, false, whatever they put over your post, a fact check, Mm -hmm. a fact check. Um, So that's one thing. But then the second thing is I think that after you viewed a video, right? And like you said, Ryan, it's now confirmed our experience is real. And then nothing happens. And then these people are still just free with impunity. Breonna Taylor. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think that adds another layer of trauma to it. I think that um, elevates the need for an exclusively Black space Mm -hmm. so that you can have whatever your natural response is to these things without judgment, be that, you know, um, rage or um, hurt, tears, you know what I'm saying? Like, I just, I don't think you feel safe anyplace else. And we've kind of made exclusively black space and safe space synonymous, but Mm -hmm. that's, that's what it is for us. Mm -hmm. Bottom line. Yeah. Yeah. On that. I was going to say one other thing too. We talked about, and um, thank you, Ashley, for really teasing out racial trauma and what that means and what it looks like. How is that different from microaggressions? Because that's another term that has come up recently. I'm like, hmm, microaggression, racial trauma, <laughs> one and the same. I mean, so microaggressions are usually brought, like mentioned in corporate settings. Um, and so, though, I think the difference is, like, 
there really isn't one. <laughs> um, but I do think that like racial trauma is is overall based on all kind of systemic, you know, oppressions, racism institutions that we deal with on a regular. I think microaggressions are something that happen usually in the workplace. So they become more corporate because white people um, they find a way to intimidate us, to keep us down, to say how they feel while also putting us down simultaneously. And so to me, I think you become traumatized from the microaggression, but the microaggression is the reason that you're experiencing the traumatic response to that based on a racial microaggression. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. This is where I feel like those liberals are the biggest offenders because they think they're cool. They think they, <laughs> they wit it. They're on the right side of history, but they say the most ridiculous things to black Egregious. people. Like, no. you speak so well. Where'd you go to school? Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Or what you mean I speak scent. English? That's like, one I'm of just, my faves. I love when I said, or use black scent. That's one of my faves you know, or want to talk to you about black things. I'm like, you know, I'm a whole human. And when you speak to me, you don't have to be like, Hey girl, girlfriend. Hey girlfriend. Yeah. I've had people do that to me. Mm -hmm. That right there. I'd be like, yeah. Conversation over. Yeah. That that's yeah. 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 Thank God for my therapist. <laughs> I've had people tell me you don't act like you don't like you don't act like them. What does that like, even mean? <laughs> and they want you to act like them because you can be too black and make them uncomfortable. It makes them uncomfortable. It makes mm -hmm. them uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I I feel like the liberals are the biggest the biggest offenders of that because they feel they're so liberal that they can say this type of stuff to you. <laughs> you know, like... Like, that's their thing. Is it like, yeah. we're good enough, we can have this conversation. No, no, Becky, we can't. No. No, Karen. Yeah. No. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. was a good... Uh, yeah. Yeah, I have... I, girl, I got stories, y'all. I got stories. I'm trying to... <laughs> so... It's, it really is a hard spot for me. So I think a lot of the work that I've done in, in, in the counseling world has been based on what I experienced at my previous employer. And so I've worked really hard, one, to again become like aware that like, whew, I'm, I'm about to Triggered. be saying, yeah, I'm scared, I'm, you know, and so I'm feeling the same kind of way. But also so that the next Black woman who comes after me doesn't have to experience that. Yes, that's the one. That's the one. So I've chosen, there are some, some, some instances where I'm like, I'm not going to educate the white person, but I will educate the black person. Because again, that like you touched, they may not know that like, it's important for you to have a black voice to hear. Like, why, why wouldn't you have a black voice? Mm -hmm. Let me tell you about my experience all eight years, you know, and then you'll have a totally different outlook. And now what you do with that is up to you. But I'm gonna educate J Jamaica. I don't know. I couldn't think. You <laughs> funny, Latasha. There you go. Come on. Um, but yeah, you know, so that that has been really important to me. Is like I can't even give them 
any more of my attention. The attention now has to shift to how can I educate you so that if you have to experience this, this is how you enter this space. You yeah. may and your voice be known because they will do everything they can to silence you. And this is why you create your own table over here and you still sit at that table but be smart. Start learning from them and take some of that stuff back to your own table and bring everybody else with you. And I think that that's also what has been important for me. It's like, oh, I'm gonna learn. I'm gonna learn while I'm sitting with you. And then I'm gonna go back and take it to all my black friends and we're gonna do it too. So that has become important to me too. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yes, ma'am. That was good. Does anybody else have any final thoughts about the importance and value of all Black spaces before we move on to our nurse's note? No, I mean, I said no and then I was ready to talk. (laughs) It's another thing. And another thing. I mean, I just, I'm getting to a point where, like you said, Ashley, I'm not your educator. um, And I'd rather withdraw. And so I am working on that within myself because I don't really want to be that per se, but I'm going to tell you this, I value me over anybody. And so before... I'm going to sit down and have a conversation with you where I have to convince you of my experience in any way. I'm going to save myself first. And you can continue to be in that space that you're in and let somebody else do that work. And God bless the person who is doing that. That's not my ministry. I cannot do that. For the people, you know, for the Black men and women who are going into all white spaces and um, trying to be the forger of new territory or whatever I mean good good my energy is best used within my community among people who look like me mm. and that's the only thing I got mm-hmm. yeah absolutely yeah. I completely agree with that yeah yeah mental yeah. health is important in this season and so I think um we have to have these conversations where spaces like for us are important but also like surviving in a pandemic, surviving being Black in America, like those are really, really important. And it drains our mental health. And so finding a clinician, a mental health professional in whoever's area is watching is really, really important. And surviving being Black in America in a pandemic. Okay, because that's (laughs) like a triple threat. Um, And we've already talked about that. So yeah, that's great. That's a good note. What you got, Tash? I mean, that's pretty much it for me. I, I don't know. I, I, I just really wish that um, we as a people can get to a space where we can center ourselves, um, where we can be comfortable taking up space and not feeling like we, like, I feel like Black people do a collective this posture, the church finger shrink down. Like, we see you. It's okay. You know what I'm saying? You are a human. You were born with the right to be where you are whenever you're there. And it's okay. Like, um, for example, something that really kind of would grind my gears was when this whole uprising really took place and people were kind of staking their claims on 
Facebook or whatever social media platform, you either had your people who were vocal about it, non-Black people who were vocal about it, or non-Black people who were silent. Mm-hmm. And um, that's, that is what it is. But at some point, then as these Black people posting like, we see y'all dope white people talking about Black Lives Matter. Can you center yourself for a second? Can you center yourself for a second? Why is it that you need to pat white people on the back for not being pieces of shit? That's how I saw it. Mm-hmm. We see all the adult white people out there. Sit down. Mm-hmm. Sit down. Yep. Be quiet. Because yep. the adult white people in your life who are fighting for what is right ain't got to post Black Lives Matter. They don't need a recognition. They already know. They already know you, you ride with them. They already know. Yep. I ain't shout out not near one of my white friends, okay, for getting on Facebook or doing whatever they did. Listen, if you wasn't doing that and I saw that too, <laughs> I ain't shout nobody out because you are, listen, if we're down, we're down with or without all of this. Mm-hmm. I don't need to shout you out, give you no extra cookie or kudo for doing what you're supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. Get out of here. I just put a gentle reminder, thank you, but make sure that you keep the same energy later on in the in the election cycle. So that was or when you at dinner with your damn racist family. That's the one. That's the one. (laughs) I literally said those three. When you at the poll, when you at church with your um with your you know pastor who's a Republican and your family. Those are the the three. I thank you and so yeah. 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 It it wasn't any of that Mm -hmm. for me. Me neither. And if you wanted one, I wish I had. Although I did post some of y'all getting deleted as an act of self care. I did post that and I meant it. (laughs) And I spent a good probably 20 minutes (laughs) going through, like, oh, you ain't got nothing to say? (laughs) Cool. Cool. Delete. You ain't got nothing to say? Cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because silence equals complicit. So. That part. Bye. I quit a job. I start working with somebody. I'll leave a grant. I'll <laughs> whatever it takes to protect my own personal health and emotional well being. Bye. I don't need nothing that much. That's Mm-mm. right. That's right. Mm-mm. No. Don't need anything that Closing much. Closing thoughts. Right. So my nurses know is to I just encourage everybody to intentionally seek out or create an all black space. Whatever your jam is, if you work out, find you a workout group or a gym that's all black. If you're a nurse, if you're a lactation consultant, if you're a therapist, if you do nails, if you do hair, if you, uh, whatever it is, right? If you are stay at home mom, if you homeschool, whatever, find, intentionally seek out or create an all black space because there is so much healing that happens there. There's so much love that happens there. We grow in those spaces. Um, and I, I think that, yeah, we laugh in those spaces at stuff we can't laugh out, laugh at in other spaces for sure. Um, and I think that it's something that we need to be able to pass down to our future generations. We don't need to be having these conversations when our children, or hopefully, especially not our children's children, you know, are here. They need to argue that that is a thing. We have made a thing. It's cool. It's safe. Um, you know, I, 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 that's my nurses know. If, if you don't have one in your area, um, make one mm-hmm. and, and invite people because 
we need that type of healing. We need that type of love, that energy that we bring, that only that that culture that only we can bring. We need that. We need to be able to share that with one another. Um, so make sure you do that. And I'm also going to make a, a nurse's note to be mindful um, when we are having um, these um, unfortunate events where our um, our brothers and sisters, other Black people are being murdered by racist people, albeit police brutality or other um, racist um, acts of violence. Make sure that if you're tagging people, mm. to be mindful of that. Because mm. if I get a tag or the notification that I've been tagged on social media, I, I just go click and I watch what you tag me in. I have no warning. You have not warned me that I'm about to watch something that may be triggering for me, that may potentially, you know, put me into a, a situation of having some racial trauma. So make sure if you're going to tag people that you warn them about, don't just blindly tag people to watch something that may be traumatic like that. Make sure you give people fair warning because they may elect not to watch if that's not where their mental, like if they don't have the mental capacity to do that at that time. Mm-hmm. Ashley, thank you so much for joining us and giving us all of your time. <laughs> where can we find you? Um, so um, you can find me on Facebook at Gilmore Counseling and Consulting Services, PLLC. And on Instagram at Get Real with Ash G. Oh, Ashley, doing big things. Yes, it was lovely. Girl, mm-hmm. yes, we are so grateful for you. Thank you, um, everybody who is watching or will watch later. We appreciate mm-hmm. you. Yeah. You yes. can find us at um, Conscious Sedation Podcast on Facebook and on Twitter and IG, Conscious underscore Sedation. You can email us if you have any questions or comments at getsedated705 at gmail.com. Absolutely. And, you know, we're on all your platforms where you can listen. Yeah, yeah. Just look us up. We air well. <laughs> we everywhere. <laughs> but it's not only important that you listen, it's important that you like, share, rate, whatever they ask you to right. do. Get us all the way up there. We need all the things. Right. Um, so that we can keep, continue to bring y'all this goodness y'all like to hear so much. Mm-hmm. And sometimes clownery. <laughs> yeah, sometimes foolery, but that's it's all it's all a part of it. All right. Oh, I ain't show my shirt. My, yep. my black owned business. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Brought to you by my, my me, my own little Shut yourself out, Tash. Where, where can you find that t-shirt? Um at T Colonized. You can look at that on um Instagram. It's you know decolonized. See what I did there? <laughs> So yeah, decolonized. It's you know entrepreneur, black folk, all kinds of designs there. Just go look. It's on Spreadshirt. I use a print-on-demand company where I'm able to upload my designs, and I don't have to have any stock or anything like that. But you guys can order it, and they will print it and ship it to you. Yeah. Drop ship. There, yeah. And it's T colonized, T E E, right? T E E colonized with a D at the end. All right, that's awesome. Well, well, that's it. Next we week we are. What'd you say? Said that's it. We calling it a night. We calling it a night. But next week we talking about urban education. Oh. So you know, 
We might have like five parts to that conversation. <laughs> yeah, because it gets deep. <laughs> we could go deep with that, but we are looking forward to it. Hopefully we have um, another guest, a couple experts on. We're, we're looking forward to that. We're going to see if people can be available for us. Um, again, and thank we're you. We're going to try your- not to be an hour late. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to get that together, Tasha. Ooh, I know, I know. Okay. What you say? Almost passing bedtime. I, know. I mean, no, legit. we are so sorry. We love you. Thank you. <laughs> yes, thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Thank oh, you for joining. Yeah. All right, we're done. We'll okay. talk to y'all later. Bye. See you next y'all. Week. Thanks. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>